So last week, uh, we looked at the very beginning, the introduction to the book of Ephesians. And as you know, I told you that I'm not one, uh, or wasn't in high school, one for introductions. I would kind of just skip the greeting, figured uh, I don't care who said it or what he was saying, let's just get to the good stuff. And yet I began to understand that uh, the greeting is even significant, that there are things that Paul said right at the start of the book that are quite profound. And last week, we talked about the idea that in the midst of all the crazy that the people of Ephesus was experiencing, Paul said, very simply, grace and peace. They had all this tension. There was an unsettledness in the city. There was these cultural collisions that were taking place. And, uh, and I think in many ways it's very similar to the state of our nation and culture. Collisions of all sorts, things we're wrestling with regarding faith and the practice of that faith. And into that, I think if Paul was writing to us in the church of Spokane, he would simply say, grace and peace. He would say that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. That you can live into grace, that you can feel and receive that grace, and then you can offer that to others. I think he would also say, peace, shalom. That your life would be whole and full that you would have harmony with one another, and that in everything you would experience all that is good. And so Paul starts with grace and peace. And then he moves into a section that we're going to look at this morning, and it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 6. Now those of you who are... uh, Uh, big into the Greek, you know that going into verses 3 and following, there's a big, big section where Paul is really loving the the run-on sentence, okay? So he does this one long, long, crazy long sentence, and we're not even getting through all of it in the first, or these verses 3 through 6. Next week, Kevin's going to cover all that section again, but what I want to do is just highlight a few phrases that give us a framework for why Paul is telling us what he's telling us in this book. So it says this, Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so Paul, right at the very beginning, said grace and peace. And then now in this section, he begins to unpack a bunch of phrases that I think begin to define a little bit of who we are, that help kind of frame all that he's going to say in the rest of the book. And again, I think it's important for us to recognize he's writing into this period where The Ephesian church is trying to figure out what do they even understand about faith? Can we worship God and Artemis at the same time? Uh, Let's have a big uh, book burning. Let's like all this crazy stuff is happening in their midst. And into that, Paul then moves into verses three through six, and he basically says this to them: Listen, Ephesian church, listen, new community, in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, you need to be reminded that you are loved that you were chosen, adopted, sought after, you're blessed. You are desired by God. You're covered by Him. You're welcomed. You're included. 
And so he starts off at the very beginning in this section basically saying you're loved. The fundamental kind of foundation or grounding point for the whole rest of the book is this idea that, the, that in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, in the midst of whatever tension you feel, that God is communicating through Paul that there is a fundamental grounding in love. That the foundation of everything we look at in the rest of this book, but specifically in this section, is all framed in the idea that you are loved. Paul doesn't start off with all of this, uh, this argument based on doctrine. He doesn't start off by rules of engagement. He starts off simply reminding you that you're loved. That God loves you. With all that is God, He loves you completely. And this love then provides the framework for the rest of the verses that we looked at this morning. And he gives us these little phrases throughout this section that I think are meaningful and are worthy of discussion in groups this week. And so what I want to do is just highlight really quickly those phrases and what they mean and kind of try to provide a platform for discussion. So the first phrase, or one of the uh, more meaningful phrases he gives in this section is that he says, he chose us in him. That he chose us in him. The idea behind that is that that he's, he's kind of highlighting reconciliation. He's highlighting this idea that you have been chosen, that you've been desired, that you've been pursued. In fact, I heard this definition a little while back about reconciliation. This author was describing it, and he said simply this, that Jesus seemed to define reconciliation as the constant pursuit of that which is disconnected. I love that. The constant pursuit of that which is disconnected, that, that which is separate is trying to bring that back to alignment, to grace, to peace. The constant pursuit. In fact, if you look throughout the New Testament, you see this, uh, this uh, picture over and over again. You see God described as the one who loses the sheep. There's 99, and instead of just being content with the 99 and going, man, th- these, these 99 are pretty great. There's one out there, and it's the constant pursuit of that which is disconnected. It's how do we bring back the one? You see him as the, as the person who's looking after the gold coin. It's been lost. It needs to be found. And so there's this pursuit. There's this like tracking it down, sweeping, looking high and low until that coin is found. There's this pursuit. You also see it in the picture of the father. Who, the son goes away, the prodigal son. The son begins to return, and really it's a story more or less of a prodigal father, a father who's willing in the midst of a culture that would not uh, be very cool with this. He starts sprinting after his son, embraces him, gives him a ring, orders a big party, kills the fattened calf. There's this huge celebration. Why? That which was disconnected has been pursued and is reconnected. There's this idea that you've been chosen so much so that God is in constant pursuit. He desires to know you. And Paul starts off this section saying, not only are you loved, but God is in constant pursuit of you. He wants to realign that which has been disconnected. And I would encourage you this week in small group, as you've been uh, talking with people, to maybe discuss what it would look like or what it means for you to be chosen by God. What does it mean for him to be in constant pursuit of you? What are the implications 
for that for your life. The second one is this, that you should be, or that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. I think it's important for us when we begin to think about this phrase and when we begin to discuss this as a group is, is to recognize that in the New Testament that we're not identified first and foremost as sinners but rather as saints. That we're identified as saints who sin but that our first and foremost identification is that of saints. And I think the distinction is quite important. And the reason I say that there are strands and threads of our Christian faith that tend to highlight the fact that you're broken, that you have uh, dysfunction, that you're deceitful and desperately wicked, that, that those conditions define who you are. And I would say that in Christ, and this is important, your first and primary identity or your true self is found in who you are in Christ, not in the ways that you've disrupted shalom. Will you disrupt shalom? Absolutely. Will that happen on a regular basis? Yes. But we're not defined by the fact that we disrupt shalom. We're defined by our primary identity, which is that we are in Christ, that our true self is found in who we are in Him and not how we disrupt shalom or how we sin. In the New Testament, you see this again and again. The first word about you is not that you are a sinner. The first word about you is that you're created in the image of God, that you're crowned with glory and honor, that you're a child of the divine. And that's the way God sees you. He sees you as holy and blameless in Christ. In the New Testament, really, those who are pictured as being in Christ, that, that when there is sin of any kind, the idea is that whatever sin it is, it's already forgiven that you've been accepted, that you've been chosen, that you've been forgiven, that you're in Christ, regardless of what has happened in the past and regardless of what will happen in the future, the only sin that we experience is the kind that has been forgiven in Christ. And the more I think we're taught who we are in Christ, the more we resonate with the identity, the more we resonate with how He sees us, I think the easier it is for us to live into who He's asking us to be. It's far easier to live into a person who's pursuing and loving and being faithful and obedient to Christ when you recognize from the beginning that he sees you as holy and blameless rather than the opposite. And so maybe discuss this week, what does it mean to have your primary identity as holy and blameless in Christ? How does that motivate you differently? How do we live out of that identity? The third one. For adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. For adoption to himself. So what Paul is saying is, not only were you chosen, not only do I see you as holy and blameless in Christ, but God also recognizes that you've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. That you have been adopted. That this is part of the core of our identity. The other uh, day, um, I had all the interns over to my house uh, for dinner. So all throughout the year, we do different things together, uh, lots of experiences. On this particular occasion, they all came over for dinner, and then the idea was to spend some time discussing, uh, talking, sharing a little bit, getting to know one another even more uh, deeply. 
And uh, we sat around and we had dinner. And uh, the only thing that was a little bit different about dinner this particular time is that uh, all around the table were all of these interns. And then my seven-year-old daughter, Evie, sat on the, uh, the edge next to me. And uh, she ate dinner with everybody else and was trying to act like this grown-up at the table and was eating and talking and laughing and listening uh, to all these stories. And then what we did is we cleared off the table and we sat back down at the table and the idea was to have uh, like a longer discussion. And in my mind as a father, I figured at this point, Evie would realize like, okay, it's time for adult conversation. And so she might meander off and and uh, play or do something fun, but that she wouldn't desire to sit at the table much longer because she'd already done dinner. And instead, she sits right back down and notices that everybody's having coffee. So she's like, I'll take one of those too. And, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was primarily creamer with a little coffee added in. And parents, don't worry, it was decaf. But she sat there and just sipping on her coffee. And we're all sitting around and we're about to start this, what, it's kind of like a game, and it's called, If You Really Knew Me, You Would Know, and then you fill in the blank. And the idea about this little exercise is that you sit and you say, okay, if you really knew, knew me, totally knew me, you would know this thing about me. And uh, everybody's required to say three things. And you kind of go around, and the first time you go around, you share like maybe something that's kind of surface level. And then each time you go a little bit deeper and you reveal a little bit more of yourself, you unpack something a little deeper. And so we're sitting there, and uh, to give you an example, I said at the beginning, uh, if you really knew me, you would know I like soccer. Now, unless you've met me for the first time, you probably are already aware of that. I'm not like going pretty deep into who I am as a person, right? That's pretty surface level. And so we all went around and we shared, and uh, Evie, I think, jumped in, and she said, you know, uh, if you really knew me, you would know I like soccer too. And then she said, you know, I'm playing on a team and I like it. And I was like, yes, yeah. You know, that whole biblical idea, you raise them up when they're young and they will not depart from it, right? (laughs) And I was like, perfect, okay? We're, We're on a good track. This is good. And, um, and so she shares, and we, we keep going around, and we're talking, and now it's like level, level two. And so it's uh, my turn to share, and I, I started each time, and then it would kind of go around, and I said, if you really knew me, you would know. And this might be new for some of you, but if you really knew me, you would know that I have a, a secret love of 90s rap music, right? And some of you are going, okay, you didn't need to go that deep, or that's kind of weird, you know? Um, but yes, I... Listen, 90s rap still holds really true today even, okay? There's some deep messages. Uh, Don't fault me for growing up in a certain era, but it, check it out at some point. Anyhow, uh, I share that. And we go around and everybody else kind of shares a little bit, something about themselves. And it comes around to Evie and she's last. And she says, "Uh, yeah, if you really knew me, you would know I like to play and sing. And, you know, and she kind of described it for a second. So everybody goes, peels back another layer, and it's ready for round three. And you could tell each time that someone was sharing, like there was more pauses, kind of deeper reflection, maybe some questions around, uh, and people unpacked it a little bit more. And we get to round three, and I'm about ready to go. And uh, Evie goes, hey, can I go first for round three? Sure, Evie. You like soccer, you like to play and sing, that's great. I'm thinking in my mind, 
You also like cartwheels. Maybe you'll say something about playing with dolls. Maybe you'll, you know, you like the color. That's great. And then we'll move on. So I'm like, absolutely, why don't you go first? And I assumed at this point, she's just sharing and tracking, but she's not getting the idea that each time it's like a layer deeper. And so, go ahead, Evie. And she said, if you really knew me, you would know I was adopted. And then she started to unpack it. And you would know I have a birth mom, and this is her name. And you would know I have a half-sister. And you would know that I was born in this state. And you would know this about me and that about me. And I was like, she's, she's getting the game. She's figuring this out. And as I heard it, like, she's revealing something very deep about her identity and her person. She's like unpacking something that at first glance you don't know about her, but then over time you do. And here's, as I reflected on it more, I just thought to myself, you know what? That's all of our story, right? If you really knew me, you would know I was adopted. If you really knew you, you would know you were adopted too. That you have been chosen, that you are welcomed, that you're forgiven, that the king says, I adopt you. That now you have crazy brothers and sisters. That you are in a family. That you are someone that is loved. You are an heir of the king. All of the spiritual blessings that Paul is talking about, all that we can imagine is true in Christ, all of that, yours. Because your story and my story is very similar in the sense that we have been adopted and something profound has happened in our life. And if you really knew us, you would know we were adopted. And I think to the people of Ephesus, in the midst of everything that's going on, he's going, hold on, hold on. Just relax for a moment. Don't forget, you've been adopted. You've been chosen. You've been loved. I see you as holy and blameless. Like, all of these realities are the realities that you should see as your identity. Don't get caught up in something else. Recognize this. So I'd encourage you this week, talk about it. What does it mean to be adopted by God? What does it mean to be an heir? What are the implications of being a son or a daughter of the king? And I asked myself this quite a bit over the last week or so. Why does Paul start with this? He could have started with anything. He could have said, hey, grace and peace, and then let me build this theological argument. Or grace and peace, and then let me tell you how to fix all your problems because you're in the midst of all kinds of stuff happening. But he starts off and says, grace and peace, and in the midst of whatever you're going through, let me start by saying you're loved. You're chosen. You're holy and blameless. I love you. I mean, that's, that's so profound. I think in the midst of everything that's going on, what we need to be reminded of sometimes is simply that, that you are loved. The other day, I told one of my kids that they uh, were going to get something that they were hoping for. They were like, like oh, Dad, can I do that thing? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. We'll do that a little bit later today. It's going to be a ton of fun. Don't worry about it. It will happen. I promise it's going to be great. And uh, one of the other kids overheard that conversation and kind of, you know, as a good sibling, tucked that away and went like, I can use that a little bit later, right? 
Maybe some of you are catching what I'm saying. But anyhow, um, a little bit later, there was this disagreement. And uh, there was some tension among the kids. And uh, the kid that had tucked away that idea decided now would be a great time to pull it out. And was like, okay, you're being a jerk. And here's what I can tell you about you being a jerk. Let me pull that out. You're not going to get what dad promised. He's not going to give it to you because you're not good. He, he's going to be mad at you when I go tell what you did. And because when he hears what you did, there's no chance you're going to get X, Y, and Z because I know he wouldn't do that, right? And trying to be a good dad, I stepped in at that moment as I hear like, gets louder and louder. And I went, okay, let me, let me pause for a second. And I stepped in and the one child started going, but then they're saying like, this is not going to happen. And like, what? I just, hold on, stop. Don't, don't say anything. Well, but it, pause, just hold on. And I turned to the one child and I simply said this, who are you listening to? Why? Why are you listening to them? They're, they're telling you you're not going to get it. Who, should you listen to them or should you listen to your father? Who's, whose word counts in this moment? Right? And I would say the same thing to you. Right? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to what the world is saying? Are you listening that you're not good enough? Are you listening that you're unqualified? Are you listening that you should be scared and that you should be fearful? Are you listening saying, well, hey, listen, if, they, if he really knew everything I knew about you, you wouldn't be chosen. You wouldn't be adopted. You wouldn't be loved. Like if, if God got the full picture of your situation, you're not getting what he promised you'd get. And I would say this, stop listening. Listen to your father. The only words that count, the ones that matter, are the ones where God is simply saying, you're loved, you're chosen, you're adopted. I see you as holy and blameless. I don't care what they say. This is how I see you. This is your identity in me. And when we recognize that we are blessed and chosen and blameless and adopted and loved, I think it does something profound in us. And so may the competing voices in your life be dismissed as you focus on your true identity in Christ.